turn to Matthew chapter 6, but we'll be in Mark and Psalms and, and uh, Corinthians. We'll be bouncing around a little bit uh, as we begin or continue our series talking about stewardship. Uh, and stewardship is, it really is one of my most favorite things. I think because looking back at our life, there were times in our family where we had the ability to be generous and times where we needed the generosity of others to go on. I remember um, mission trips and not being able to afford that and someone in the church reaching out to us and pouring that into us and, and then remembering when we had money at one point in time to, to be able to do that back. And that really started a conviction how I saw the Lord take care of us through the generosity of others and vice versa really impacted us. When Christy and I got married, I had a, a degree, the largest degree in my office, says Texas A&M University on it. And, and whoop, yeah, and I graduated and I hung that on my wall and I started my first full-time job at $1,333 a month. Y'all. That doesn't pay for the size of that diploma. Are you with me? Christy and I, we graduated in May, got married in June, started our job, we're waiting on her. And, and out of that $1,300 a month, rent was $700, my car note was $250. And when I married her, I got her car note, her dad gave it to us. It was about $350. I'm gonna let you do the math. Seven plus 250 plus 350 are you with me that's $1,300 we had about $33 a month for food electricity cable going out going out meant walking out of the apartment and walking back in are you with me and 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 in that time what I didn't tell you is something that has always been key in both of our lives she saw it different her family was we've always wanted to be generous. That's just something that we desire and design for our life. And, uh, and part of that uh, generosity is obedience and giving back to the Lord. And so since the day we got married, 10% is the minimum that we uh, offer back to the Lord and we wanna do more than that. But if you take 10% of $1,333 and you only have $33 a month, we're negative. Have you ever been negative? Anyone ever had single digits in your bank account? Anyone ever felt relieved when you had two digits in your bank account? Praise God. I remember like, baby, we have $70 left this month. Like, sincerely, how in the world? I don't know how we survived. I don't know how those early years of marriages happened. I don't know how when she stopped working, when we had kids. I don't, I don't know how. But I will tell you something that has been always on our heart was, God, we always want to be as generous as you'll allow us to be. And so I love talking about generosity, not, not because I'm a pastor and, and I want to raise money for the church. You'll, you'll hear that that's a little crazy. But, but because I know the joy of being generous to the glory of God. I, I know those real life decisions about can I do it, can I not? And, and the Lord reminds us over and over about his legacy and his word and his world. And so uh, as I've been reading and preparing for, for today's sermon to talk about today, uh, I, I came across something that was not surprising, but it's true. Uh, the most generous generation in American history is our World War II generation. Uh, that would be our 75 plus 
You're our most generous generation in history. And here's what everything talks about as far as generosity in America. The most generous generation is dying and retiring. And the least generous generations are replacing them. So I thought, I wonder after I read that, I wonder what that means. So I want to read you some stats, and I'll end with positive ones. Are y'all okay with that? The, the first ones are going to be interesting. Uh, charitable giving in the U.S. This isn't just to churches, but this is charitable giving. If you are 25 to 40, uh, to your 40, to 40, uh, if you're an American, the average charitable gift, generosity, uh, per a- annual, all year long, is $481 a year. Uh, is what the average 25 to 40 year old go, gives. Um, 41 to 56 is $732 a year per individual. Um, 57 to 75, you know, all the ones, uh, fat cats in the middle of your biggest earning years, $1,212 is the average. Uh, and 76 plus is 1376. So those are stats on generosity per American. And that, those aren't church stats, it's just across the board. Does, that feels a little bit not so wonderful for a second, doesn't it? Now, now I know what you say, because I was there with you. Remember when Christy and I got married, when you're 25 to 40, they kind of get a pass because your earning isn't as good. And so $481 a year is a lot to them. The only problem is that same age group spends an average of $1,700 a year on coffee. Right? So, so let me put this, you might say, well, praise God, I'm in the $1,300 generation or, or whatnot. Um, the average American, in fact, the, it's what our government tells, like the average American should budget $3,050 a year on personal entertainment per individual in your household. Per individual. So $3,000. Um, it says the average person in America that has cable spends $2,604 a year on cable. Um, soda. On soda, okay. Now remember, four eighteen, seven thirty two, twelve twelve, thirteen sixty seven. Those are our, our charitable. That's our generosity. The average American on soda spends eight hundred and sixty two dollars a year per individual on soda. Now I know what you're thinking, like cable. I need to know the news. Coffee, y'all. We can all understand a little bit, but soda. Some of you are like, I don't drink soda. No, you drink that healthy stuff. That's like 14000 a month. Y'all with me? You've seen the price of something that's healthy? And, and so, so when, I, when I saw that, I was not surprised. I was a little amazed. And so the question came to my mind, is it different for Christians? And the answer is actually yes-ish. The average Protestant in America gives through their church $17 a week. If you were doing the fast math in a four Sunday month, four times seven is 28. Add that to 40 is $68 a month. So it's almost as much as our soda bill. Right? The average, um, 77% of those who tithe 10% actually give 11 to 20%. So most people who tithe are generous givers. Families making 75000 or more, Christian families who make 75000 or more. Now, I'm going to let this be a game. Our staff, we played this a little bit earlier. 
what percentage of believers 70, who make $75,000 or more, which used to be the number to be happy, that was what they would say. If you made $75,000 as a family, you could be happy is what the number was. What percentage gives at least 10% to the Lord of what they have? Don't say it out loud because you're probably wrong. Everybody see Infinity Wars, Endgame? At the end, 1%. 1% of Christian families give more than 10% to the Lord. Now, everybody feel depressed? You're welcome. Welcome to First Baptist. <laughs> Just to, to let you know, oh, Pastor, we must be hurting for budget. Listen, um, the median giver at First Baptist gives $6,000 a year per household. So if you have two people in your household, you'd split that. Um, that's much more generous than what most of the world has. Um, in 2021, our church in faithful giving gave over $200,000 more than we had budgeted and believed that we needed to do God's work last year. Isn't that amazing? You can clap on that. That's good. You can be encouraged in that. You can be encouraged. Uh, Scott and I were talking about that. Um, it allows us to do something amazing um, because we want to be good stewards of what God gives. And so that you'll know, um, we made sure entering 2022 that $100,000 would be set aside to support missions and mission partners locally and around the world. Um, so it wouldn't stay here with us. Yeah, that's, it's amazing. Um, we increased our local giving last year to make a difference. And uh, you might say, where did all that money go? Literally, someone said one time, so with the extra money, do you keep that? As someone said, Pastor, you drive a Honda. I'm not worried about you. No, I don't, I don't keep that. But instead, we used what was left over to put investments into the building. It'll be what goes towards fixing our air conditioning and repairing some of the things that are broken in our church. And the rest of it has been used all throughout the year in ministries locally and whatnot. And so I, I want you to, to know this as you hear this. I love talking about giving because I have seen what it is to live in the generosity of God. And I'm not sharing with you a stewardship sermon in January because the church can't keep the lights on. Listen, if we can't keep the lights on, we've got spiritual issues in this place that we need to addressing. Amen? That's where we'll go. But here's what I want you to know. I don't want you to judge yourself against the rest of the world. I don't want you to judge yourself against how others in the church give or those kinds of things. Because the reality is that generosity matters. And it matters to me and it matters to the Lord because it is a trait of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is, it is a quality that he has put on display and that he has valued through the generations. And, and John says it in the book of 3 John. He says, listen, I don't have any greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. And church, I want you to know as a parent, as a pastor, as a friend, there's not a greater joy than when we are tasting and seeing how good the Lord is. Amen? I mean, that's, that's the goal when it comes to generosity. And so what we're going to be talking about today is how to live and build a generous legacy. And you might be thinking, I can't do it. I've already told you how we started out. I can tell you how many times 
we found ourselves at the wrong end of a credit card statement in this life but I will tell you this the generosity of God has well outpoured the plans of this man and I want you to know it and I want you to think about it and I want you to know why we should be generous here's what I want you to know if you don't write anything else today start here and camp on it for a while the word generous and stingy tagged to or excuse me the word Christian and the name stingy tagged together are an oxymoron a stingy Christian should not exist because generosity is part of the spirit of God and the fruit of us so so how do we make our 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 life look like the joy of generosity that ought to be well, first of all, look with me in Mark chapter 8. It'll be on the screen, verse 36. Because here's something that's very important, church. If you and I are going to leave and live a generous legacy, then we have to understand the why. Last week we talked about how we were God's stewards. God is not letting you borrow his goods. Y'all know, know that, right? He's not giving you your paycheck your family he's not loaning them to you they're his and he's asking you to steward or manage his household well and so in that understanding the why and the journey demands a destination if you want to live a life of generosity and leave a legacy of generosity in every area of your life then you must know what you're aiming for if, if you and I are, start a road trip together and I say, you want to go on a road trip? And I say, and you say, yes. And we jump in my car and we start driving and you say, where are we going? And I say, I have no idea. That's the worst road trip ever, right? I could be taking you to a daycare, right? We, we, we could get lost. I mean, we don't have a direction. So the destination matters because the destination gives our journey purpose. And so in living a life of generosity, we have to know why. Well, first of all, look at Mark chapter 8, verse 36, because I, I want you to, to, to look at this in, in, in scriptural eyes. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul here's the question I would ask you to ask now instead of moments before you pass away see at the end of life we often ask a question was it worth it was it all worth it what if we were to ask that question today instead of tomorrow Will it be worth it? The time that I'm hoarding right now, will it be worth it when I draw my last breath, when I see my Savior face to face? This purchase right now, will it be worth it? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses his soul? In other words, what profit is it if we have everything we want and we don't have what's most important. We're not investing in those things. I, I don't know about you, Christy and I, I'll, I'll share this with you if you're visiting with us. We have two kids, one's 20 and one's 17. Uh, we have given them and their grandparents have given them lots of presents in their life, amen? Right, some of you are grandparents. Do you enjoy making your kids look bad by giving more to your grandkids? I think it's a, I think it's a privilege. I think it's a right. 
let me tell you, a lot has been invested in, in stuff. Now, here's the reality. If you were to say, David, what things do you have today, 17 and 20 years later, that they were given back then? What do we have? Out of all of the things that they were given as a child, hundreds and thousands of dollars I know have been spent through the years. In my head, I can think of two. We have a plastic chair that they sat in and ate at when they were a baby that you strapped down to a chair, and we have a playpen. And the only reason we have those is because when we have people that have children and babies over, we want to make sure that they have something semi-safe. In our plastic chair, we've lost all the safety straps, so it's not even safe anymore. Those are the only two things from being a kid that, that we have in our house. Christy, we were talking about this with her. I, I don't know where any of my childhood stuff, I think the only thing she really has is a creepy doll set at her mom's house. And it's not allowed to come over and play. Are you with me? Like, out of all of these things that, that we've accumulated and spent, are we willing to ask the question, will it be worth it? Will it be worth it at the, the end of their life, at the end of my life, what I am pouring into, what would happen if we stopped thinking of generosity as a duty and we saw it as an investment? What good does it profit you or I to gain the whole world, to have everything we've ever wanted, to make sure our kids have everything they've ever wanted, all these things, if we lose our soul? If we give no care, no attention to what God has made eternal and life-giving. In Matthew chapter 6, if you have your thumb there, flip over to it. Verse 33. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says this. After you're worried about all these things, all the stuff you're going to have, all the needs you're going to have in your life. Matthew 6 verse 33. Jesus says these words. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek. Seek him first, and everything else will be added to you. I'll, I'll take care of the rest. You see, church, there has to be a belief if you are going to live a life of generosity before the King of Kings, if you're going to leave that in your family's life, then there has to be a belief that the destination is the kingdom of God. And that is our first and our highest priority. That is our all in all. That is our reason for being. And everything else has to be in line with that journey. All of our decisions, all of our time, all of our, our funds, everything that we have is in line with, is it seeking God's will first? And all these things will be added unto you. That does not mean if you give God a dollar, he'll give you 10. Y'all, God may give you extra in certain times of need. But God isn't doing this for an exchange. He's not trading off with you. He may want you to give sacrificially, but he'll provide for you as needed. He will say, I'll take care of all of the things that you're worrying about. I'll give you the fruit of that. You see, because generosity is the fruit of a transformed life. 
That's the reality of it is. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you, he's saying, listen, when you're seeking God's life, you're believing that he will take care of you, that he loves you more than anyone else, that he'll provide for your children, that he loves your children. It's not saying you get to live in the biggest house in the street, that you get to wear the latest, whatever the famous brand of shoes are these days. He's not saying those things. He's saying, if you seek me, then you don't have to worry about everything else. I've got you. I've got you. You may say, well, pastor, I don't like shopping off the clearance rack. I, I, I don't want my children to have that part of my life. Listen, the clearance rack, whether, whether you shop at Ross or Macy's, you know that doesn't matter for eternity, right? Are y'all, y'all with me on that one? Whether, whether you and I have to get our, our toys passed down from a friend or whether we buy them brand new, you know that doesn't make a difference for eternity. Church, at the end of the day, when your heart is right with God and seeking God first, all of the things that don't matter, they start fading away. They become unimportant. Because you start to see how God cares for your every need. Christy and I, when we we got married at 22, we had Ashley at 25. That means we had two and a half years of a double income. Y'all, we were rich. She was making 26,000 a year as a new teacher and me at my 13, 33 a month, we were rolling the dough. Do you know when we had children, she stopped and we had just paid off all the debt that we'd amassed. Lord, do do y'all know something? I think the world knows parents and grandparents are rich because do you know how much baby furniture costs? It's, it uses less wood, it's smaller, and it costs a fortune. And I remember thinking, I don't know how this is going to happen. And we had a family that's about our age now that said, we just happened to keep this baby crib and this dresser for all of these years. Would you like it? Yes, God provided for us in that moment. It wasn't the fanciest, best stuff in the world. It didn't come with instructions, which almost caused a seismic rift in our marriage. But at the end of the day, it's not about what. It's about who. In church, what Scripture says is that when you seek the Lord first, He will provide for you so that you don't have to worry. And if your mind is not on the things of this world, you're not worried about the things of the world because the Lord's making sure you have all that you need to keep seeking Him. That's what it means. And so someone who is generous isn't worried about the things of the world. Because God is the one who is transforming their life. God is the one who is changing their life. And so, you know, for you and I, we have to know the destination or the reason why we are generous as God's people. It's because our God is generous and we're seeking Him. We have to know who is our audience. I think that really, really matters. You see, if we don't know our audience, we may not understand how to be generous. Uh, Christy and I were able to go on a trip um, a few years back to Israel, uh, and we were the tagalongs. Uh, everyone else in the room uh, made seven figures plus, and then we got tagged along because we knew the guide. 
And I remember as we pull into Nazareth, which looks nothing like your Bible pictures today. We go into this, this place, and in this room is a, is a young Christian girl. And she is writing children's books to explain the gospel story to families. And she's giving her presentation. She's talking about what she does. And I'm sitting in the back room thinking, I wish I could just do a time freeze right now and just time out and tell her, I don't know if you realize this, but in this room are people who want to support your ministry and they have more means than you could ever imagine. So I, I, I hope that you tell them what you need. You see, she didn't know who was in the room. Now, at the end of the day, the guide made sure the room knew what she needed and God provided. In your life, do you believe that God is the audience that you're living for? Do you believe he is the one? Look in your Bible to, to, to Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Psalm 24, verse 1. This is what the Bible says. The earth is the Lord's. The, the whole earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Verse 2, for he has founded it upon the seas and established upon the rivers. What scripture says is this, who should be our audience? The world belongs to God and everyone else owns nothing. Who should we be living for? The one who owns it all. You see, this is why we know that generosity is a fruit of our relationship with God and not a way that we impress God. If, if you were to, to Google something uh, this week, I would tell you to Google this. What does it rain on Neptune? For 40 years, the hypothesis as we studied Neptune is that it rains diamonds that there's a layer of diamonds that is now saturated and surrounded the core of the planet. See, God owns it all. So generosity isn't about making God rich or God's people rich. And anyone who shares that with you isn't, doesn't know that God doesn't need our help in owning everything because it's his. And so when you and I are generous, church, we must realize that we are living for the audience of one, the one who has everything in his hands, and we just get to play in his playground. We get to plan on his provision. If we do not, we find ourselves answering a question the wrong way. Because when we live for an audience other than the Lord, and generosity exists, it's called manipulation. See, we have a choice on this journey. We can live in freedom or we can live manipulating. If we live for the Lord and it's all His and there's no barriers and there's no boundaries and there's no way to impress Him and there's no way to earn extra favor, all of these things, if we just play to His glory, that's freedom. But if we take what is God's and we try to use it for our purposes, that's manipulation. I mean, we, we don't always think of it that way. We, we sometimes will we'll see it in other people. We'll say, he just wants something out of you, so he's manipulating you. 
They, they just want you to think this way. So they're manipulating. When people take your thoughts and twist them for their purposes, that's manipulation. It's control. When we take what is God's and tweak it for our purposes, guess who we're trying to manipulate? God. You ever made a deal with God? Y'all, I've made a deal with God. God, if you'll just do this, then I'll do that. Right? God, if you'll just do, if I, if I can just do these things, then I will. If I can get these right, if I can get through this season, then I will. Church, God doesn't want or need you playing or messing around with his designs and his plans. He doesn't say, seek me eventually. And all these things will be added on to you. Seek me by the time you're 38. And all of these things will be added unto you. Seek me when you have gray hair. And all these things. Seek me when you have a good job. And all of these things will be added. He doesn't say that. He says, seek me first. I'm your audience. And all these things will be added unto you. In fact, he says something about trying to manipulate him. In chapter 6 of Matthew verse 1. The Bible says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, that's their whole reward. Verse 3, But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. You see, what Jesus says is, you don't give to manipulate the way people see you. They're a good person. How do you know? And because I, I ride with them in the car and they always tell me, I keep changing my car to give to other people. They, they get to tell me all the good things that they but they're a good person. What scripture says is you're living for the wrong audience. You're trying to manipulate people and the Lord. You see, we don't give generously and abundantly to impress others. We don't give because we have a lot. We don't give because we feel better about ourselves. None of those things are in scripture. You'll, you'll not find in scripture, if you feel bad about yourself, go give monies to someone. We don't give to get. We give to pass on the joy of faith in Jesus Christ. Because when we are generous, it proves and it shows the world, nothing I have is my own. And I want you to see what life is like when I am not worried about tomorrow because I'm living for the Lord and seeking him first. Listen, I, I'm a penny pincher. Scott laughs at me. I can tell you where I got my shoes and what percentage they were off. Amen? Some of you like that? You'll say, David, that's a nice fill in the blank. And I'll say, oh, I got it here on sale on third Tuesday in June, whatever. I, 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 I like those I like being careful with with those I like being aware if you live for your budget if if your highest audience is your budget you won't know the fullness and joy of Jesus Christ let me wrong I lie I think everybody should have a budget but my budget sits squarely in the path 
of saying, Lord, I'm going to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and you'll add on to me. So my budget has to reflect that I seek God first. If it doesn't, then it's distracting me. It's manipulating what God has given to me. So church, first of all, what is your destination? Second of all, who's your audience? Third of all, what's your heart? I wrote down this week, I want to live a life that money can't buy. I want to live a life that's freely given and not earned. I want to live a life that's steeped in grace and not in pride. And that is a life that I can't earn. I started looking at what it would mean to do that. The average American in their working years, between the time they work and stop working, will earn $2.7 million. And I started to think about that. Lord, what's the point? What's the point, God? If, if you want to give me a life that's better and greater than I can dream, then I have to recognize it's all yours. I have to put you as my only audience, the only person in the crowd. What does that mean when you give any of us, anything that we have, from our finances to our time to our house, what is it, God? And I came across an illustration. A, a man named Randy Alcorn wrote. He said, imagine you are a soldier or you live in the South during the time of the Civil War. And it became, becomes very obvious. In fact, it becomes a definitive truth that the South is about to lose the war. And in America, the Union will be won again. And all of your money is in Confederate currency and it's about to be worthless. What would be the smart thing to do? The smart thing to do would be to trade it all in for U.S. currency and keep only what you will have to have to survive until the exchange happens. That would be the smart thing to do. Uh, Lord, that's how we are called to live. We know that there will be a day that starts an eternity of life with Christ in perfection with us. And the question I have that the Lord has for us is, where are we giving our life to? How much more would it be to say, God, only let me have and hold on to what I need while I'm here, but I want to put everything else, I want to exchange it all into your currency. In Matthew, Jesus speaks about this. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, I'll read it two ways, one from Scripture and one from a, a pastor's notes where he paraphrased it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Whereas thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Listen to the pastor's paraphrase of this. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths, corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure 
in heaven where it's safe from moth rust and burglars it's obvious isn't it the place where your treasure is is the place where you will most want to be and you will end up being the place where your treasure is is the place that you will most want to be and will end up being church if you want to live a life that money can't buy then your treasure has to change currency and when that currency is exchanged generosity flows and the fruit of that generosity the joy of generosity the, the, the reality of that generosity is incredible because I would know the secret to everyone who was saying, David, why are you investing all of this in these things? And, and, and right now you could be using it to satisfy all these wants in your life. The, the joy that would be over me to say, you have no idea. What I'm investing in is a thousandfold. It'll be with me forever. Scott and I were able to take a trip for him to take a look at what we're doing with some of what the church invests in our missionary partners in Nicaragua, or excuse me, in Costa Rica. We went down on Monday, <clears throat> spent the day Tuesday, and came back Wednesday. And what Danny and Maria Jose and Casavita are doing in Osada is, is pretty impressive. And I learned something new while we were down here as we were talking with them and meeting with some of the families from their church. See, in Osada, marriage is unimportant. In fact, very few people get married because marriage at its core is based in faith. It's a, it's a Christian-rooted tradition. And so most people don't get married. A few that do could only get married in the Catholic Church and follow the priest rules of, of, of all the things that they had to be. And as I, I talked about that, I thought, could you imagine a world, and it is their world, where Christ is so removed from the picture that marriage has no value. And so we started talking about his church. And, and what made me laugh is he said, David, we were reaching all these people and we had all these single people coming to church. And he said, we've done like six marriages in the last few years. And I thought, praise God. Could you imagine what happens when a town that has very few marriages because Christ isn't important sees people come to faith in Jesus Christ and they show that faith in marriage in a covenant commitment to God and they start talking to their friends about it. Could you ever dream that marriage, biblical marriage, could change eternity for a community? I will invest in that all day long and twice on Tuesday. How much better is that than the leather steering wheel wrap thing that goes around my car so my hands can feel squishy when I'm driving? Church, are you willing to live a life that money cannot buy? That's the call of generosity. That, that's the reality as Christ talks about giving to the poor and to the needy, the things of the Lord, to keep your eye on him. So would I, would I challenge you to give? Oh, my Lord of mercy. I'd love to challenge you to know freedom. If your bank account's 
single digits, 10. It has nothing to do with freedom. Do you have the freedom to know that the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it? So, so everything you touch, the ring on your finger, the clothes on your back, the house that you live in, not from guilt, but for glory. God, it is yours. If you lose it, if someone takes it away, it's the Lord's and everything in it. No skin off my chin. The stock market crashes. Inflation occurs. The Lord owns the world and everything in it. Church, if he can make it rain diamonds on a planet, I think we need him more than he needs you and me. Amen? Paul shares a word. Because generosity is a fruit, and it's a fruit of faith and the choice and life in Jesus Christ. And Paul says this. He says, listen, brothers, in 2 Corinthians, I'll give you the reference. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly, you reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And I'm going to insert something here, but the choice is yours. Each one must give as you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. God has laid the facts clear for us. If you sow sparingly, then your harvest of life will be sparing. If you sow bountifully and generously, then the harvest will be generous. So the choice is up to you. What you want to do, where your heart leads you, that, that's, that's the choice. It, I think Paul writes that because it's a dumb question. It's a dumb statement, isn't it? Like, listen, if you give me any sum of money, whatever you give me by tomorrow will, is guaranteed to earn a 2 million percent return. You're like, hmm, I only have a penny in my pocket. That's all I'm in for. I don't want to take a risk. <laughs> so sparingly, reap sparingly. You know what I would do if I knew that bet was out there? I would sell everything because I get it all back and more tomorrow. Are you with me? What scripture says is, is you turn everything over to God and let him give you the return. Let him show you the harvest. Church, but he's not into coercion. You don't give to God because you feel bad. You give to him because you seek him first and his glory because he's your audience and he owns it all. And if he owns it all and he's your target, and you want to live a life that money can't buy, then check this out. What other choice is there than to sow generously? Before I close, I want to read to you Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus tells us something. It's the, it's the positive sign of growing up. <laughs> I don't know about you, but anyone ever get a, 
a spanking when you're growing up? We can't raise that hand. CPS will be honest today, but anyone ever on a trip have your mom and dad pull the car over and say, go pick a switch, y'all? I always wanted one, right? <laughs> that was going to do the least harm. Maybe think about this passage. You'll think, Pastor, you had a different childhood. I did. Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be on your, put in your lap. Now, check this out. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Here's what Jesus says. I'll let you pick the good stick. If you measure your life of generosity with a one-eighth scoop or a cup, that's the measure you can expect to know the grace and the generosity But the choice is yours. If I get to pick the grit, the the measure, Lord, can I use a dump truck? Can I pour it all out? Because I want that much grace in my life. We do not serve a vengeful God. We have served a God that every corner says who I am and what I dream for you is greater than you could ever imagine. So trust me with everything and see how generous I am. Father God, we love you. Lord, we come to you this morning knowing the reality, God, that generosity is not something our world has owned. Lord, sin has made us look and live for an audience that is not the one who is you, but the one who is us. Lord, fear is the currency of this life. And and it can tempt us and cause us to hold tightly to any and everything we can so that one day we'll have what we need. Father God, your word calls us to something so much better to trust you with all that we are, all that we have right now and for eternity and see how good you are. Lord, one day we will know in full what we know dimly now. That following an almighty, good and gracious God is better than following anything else. And that is what eternity will be like. Father God, generosity in seeking you first starts with a transformed heart. Father, it doesn't matter how much someone gives to any church, to any cause, to any person. Lord, it won't impress you and it won't bring salvation. Salvation comes through seeking Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior confessing him and giving him that right position in our life. So Father, if there is anyone listening, anyone in this room 
as you're stirring their heart about generosity, Lord, let them first be stirred towards you. Let them give you their heart. And Lord, show them eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, church? As we sing our song of response this morning, if you need to pray at the front, we'll have deacons to pray with as well. However God's leads, would you just respond this morning? I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in Jesus prayed it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed in white as snow. in your car on the way home talk to your children about how to be generous and and how you honor the Lord and spur one another on towards generosity before God one thing one announcement I have is in your chair uh, there's a form that talks about life groups we desire for every adult to be a part of a life group this year so that we can challenge and encourage, we can look in God's word together and pray to one, with one another. And so if you're not in a life group, 
or maybe you're, you're in one, but, but you would like to, to serve on Sunday morning, and you, or you would just like for your family to be together differently, and you would like to find out information about all of our life groups, we would ask you to take one of those forms and fill it out and drop it in the offering boxes as you leave. Um, if you're in one, here's my challenge. Who will you invite to share life with you this spring? Who will you invite into your world? Um, what God is doing is greater than we could ask, dream, or imagine. So I would encourage you to do so. And if the Lord is working in your life, even still, you can always stop by our Connection Center and you'll be able to visit with people to pray with you, to talk more about what it is to give your life to Jesus Christ and to live for Him. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, we love you. Lord, as we leave this place today, or as our, our friends and family watching online, as they turn off the, the feed, would you allow your generosity to overwhelm us in every way, in every part, in every season? Lord, let us know the joy of having nothing invested in this, in this world, in this life, and having all of our treasure with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.